This morning, I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker, Reverend Shonda Gladden. She is the pastor of Allen Temple AME Church in Marion. She is a wonderful speaker, scholar, singer, and social entrepreneur. She has a heart for affecting and empowering community change by serving as a community advocate, state ambassador, clinician, and speaker throughout the world. Her ministry has been characterized by serving young youth and adults. She holds four degrees, a bachelor's in philosophy from Morgan State University, both an MDiv and an MTS from Wesley Theological Seminary, and an MTS from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. She is a member of the American Academy of Religion, where she has presented papers and led roundtable sessions. She is an intermediate past co-convener of the Women's Caucus. Presently, she is the AME Research Assistant for the Confirmation Project, a Lilly Endowment Incorporated funded research project housed at Princeton Theological Seminary. Welcome, Reverend Shonda Gladden. Good morning, everyone, again. Thank you, Katie, so much for that introduction. Can y'all hear me out there? <laughs> All right, get that uh, vibe going because I may need you to talk back to me a little bit as we share on this moment. Uh, to Indiana Wesleyan President Dr. David Wright, Mrs. Helen Wright, Chapel Coordinator Jennifer Martin, Reed Marr, Lena Crusoe, and Dr. John Bray, and all those who made this invitation to share possible, allow me to share a hearty thank you it is truly my honor and privilege to share this second time uh, with you here in chapel. To the great students of the Indiana Wesleyan University here in Indiana, to you all, I thank you for coming out in great numbers in this snowy, snowy weather. You could be any other place. Even though it's a requirement, you could have chosen this as your skip, and I'm glad that you didn't. Uh, I pray that our time together will leave as poignant an impression as the first time, and that the name of the Lord may be glorified in this time of sharing. Let us pray. God, do it. If you don't do it, it won't be done. So please, God, do it. In Jesus' name and in the power of the Spirit, I pray. Amen. I love you for sentimental reasons. I hope you do believe me. I've given you my heart because love makes things happen. You never know what you're gonna do whenever true love takes over you. And I, I will always love you. love you and I love you just the way you are. <laughs> these songs, we, we sing them. We, we say these things. But how much do we really know about love and all of these songs that we catalog together as the greatest love songs of all time? Uh, the day after Valentine's Day, also called Love Day, uh, we celebrate 
were given and giving out stuffed bears and candies and chocolates and perhaps even flowers just to know I didn't get any of those things. So should the Lord drop it in your spirit to drop those things by Allen Temple? Let God lead you. Amen. But today we gather here and we're assembled uh, to talk about a love revolution. And as I contemplated your subject, which your chapel coordinators and leadership have put together in such a magnificent way, uh, a song from the old gospel pioneer by the name of Kirk Franklin, anybody ever heard of him, came to mind. And I thought, do you want a revolution? Whoop, whoop. I woo, Indiana Wesleyan University, do you really want a love revolution? Because revolution, by definition, is a forcible overthrow of something or someone in favor of a new system. It is to assert a new normal in place of what has become commonplace. It is to shift that which has been dominant to a position of inferiority for the sake of that which has historically been on the underside. On this 15th day of February, the 15th day in Black History Month, I want to know, do you really want a revolution? Do you want a new system? Uh, the scriptural foundation for this love revolution that your chapel has given is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Uh, with an emphasis on that final clause of the sixth verse, suggesting that in all our living out of this faith to which we say we are called, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. As I considered this passage of scripture as the foundation, uh, it became clear to me that the epistle writer is instructing the church at Galatia to do a systems check. Uh, this verse is penned in light of a broader passage of scripture that is about the nature of Christian freedom. The writer invites readers to consider that the nature of Christian freedom is to see itself apart from a notion of freedom that is common to the time in which they lived. Uh, much of our Bible is penned out of a contextual experience of Greco-Roman culture. And common to the Greco-Roman culture was the notion of household codes. And these household codes gave men unilateral authority over their wives, their slaves, and their adult children. And so biblical passages about submission and authority and wives submitting to their husbands in particular and slaves obeying their masters especially, these are not, as Christians assume, rooted in a cultural epitomized by June Cleaver's kitchen, but rather in a culture that is epitomized by the Greco-Roman household codes. And this system has dominated our understanding of Christian living for centuries because of the overarching influence of this Greco-Roman culture out of which the biblical writers are birthed. If you're with me, just say amen. Amen. All right. As Sharon Dowd has observed, the apostles advocated that this system was especially important, not because God had revealed it as the divine will for all Christian homes, but because it was the only stable and respectable system anyone knew anything about. It was the best that the Greco-Roman culture had to offer. I say all of this to say and to suggest not that our Bible is any less authoritative, amen, somebody, because the Bible is still the foundation on which we preach. We live, move, and have our being. The Bible is still good, amen, lights. I don't say this to suggest that we need to shift from focusing our energy, our lives, and our functioning on the proof and the truth that is presented in the Holy Scripture. The Bible is still authoritative. I believe the Bible. But that said, 
I also believe that our culture may perhaps have something better to offer. That are we bound to the system that our culture has become accustomed to? Are we bound to systems that discard impoverished children to extend power and influence to the privileged? Are we bound to systems where government officials can knowingly allow pollutants to flow through pipes and cause devastatingly life-changing diseases to shorten the lifespans of children? Is the best that we have to offer maximizing school to prison pipelines through disproportionately meted out and egregiously enforced discipline for children whose families are poor and brown or black or say hablo espanol? Is this the best our culture has to offer? My brothers and my sisters, this gospel to which we ascribe is one derived of a different cultural and ecclesiological time. But through time and history, it has been shaped, appropriated, and honored by faithful women and men who did the best they could with what they had. But how many of you know today that as much as God is still speaking, I'm confident that we have better. We have better because we have you. We have millennial leaders like those we watched in the video who have experienced the richness of what it means to live in communities of difference. And we are capable of greater works, just as Jesus said in the gospel. Greater work that sees little black girls and little white girls jumping double dutch and playing patty cake together in the authenticity of their different skins. And like McDonald says, and loving it. Greater work sees white privilege being employed subversively for the sake of brown and black people around the globe so that the systemic validity of whiteness is dismantled. I'm going to say that again for good measure. Greater work sees white privilege being employed subversively for the sake of brown and black people around the globe so that the systemic validity of whiteness is dismantled from the inside out. Somebody ought to say amen. Greater works means calling for collective outrage in the face of injustice, whether victim looks like you or me or not. Greater works looks like this. It, it looks like us. It looks like all of us <laughs> gathered as one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, lights and the back crew over there. <laughs> if we're going to truly have a love revolution, we must work our faith through, to, through in love to accomplish justice for all. As I read through that passage again and again, I heard Missy Elliott drop in my spirit. Can you work it? I wonder, can you work it? Put this thing down back at every verse. Okay, I'm not going to go there for all of the sanctified folks in the building on today. It, it means that if we're going to work this faith, we have to work this thing in a way that makes us uncomfortable. It means that we, if we believe that all lives matter, we're not too jaded to declare that black lives matter. Amen, Walls. That in the face of two numerous cases of black bodies being gunned down in state-sanctioned violence, it means that we declare it even if it's uncomfortable. It means we must work our faith and love to overcome evil, the evils of colorblind ideology, the evils of mass incarceration, the evils of gerrymandering and gentrification, the evils of rejecting refugees and systemic reincarceration. We must work our faith and love to overcome evil with good. 
Overcome the evils of human trafficking and strategic food desertification. Overcome the evil of simply talking about being faithful to live into the good of walking out our faithfulness. In the last days, according to the book of Revelations, we are told that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. In the tradition of my upbringing, we engage in a practice called testifying. So can I testify for just a little while? For those of you who don't know, uh, the bio said, I'm the Reverend Shonda Nicole Gladden with all these degrees that took a whole lot of money and paper. If anybody just wants to send a check to Allen Temple to help me pay off that debt, amen, praise God. But to those of you that don't know, I'm really just Nikki from 3412 Dodge Park Road in Landover, Maryland, in Prince George's County, on the other side of Washington, D.C. See how I code switch? That was for my friends in the back that's like, ah, oh, I'm over here. And you feel me, sister? I see you with your afro. That means that I just grew up. I wasn't raised, per se, because from the time that I was in grade school, preschool, to kindergarten, all through wait till I got to senior high school, I moved every single year of my life. I moved and lived with random people because my mama would leave me with the babysitter and then disappear for six to nine to 12 months. I moved because the place I was wasn't where my mama was, but I had a safety net of someone who hung out with me and didn't think that I was just a bastard child. My daddy wasn't a rolling stone, but my mama and my daddy didn't get along too well. And you know how women and men can have their issues that make it difficult to stay together, even though they say love will keep us together. It was not easy for me. But the thing about this thing that I call divine providence, the way that God allows God's spirit to move through each and every one of our circumstances is that God never left me. God never forsaked me. God always had God's hand upon me. And no matter where I moved, I was able to thrive because that was God's destiny for my life. Why do I testify? Because perhaps someone here today, you are experiencing some things that if your friends knew the truth of it, they would leave you in the cold. Perhaps because like me, some of you have come through difficult upbringings. Even if you had mama and daddy, big mama and them looking after you, your functioning life may still have been a dysfunctional family. Someone under the sound of my voice today, you may not have experienced the love that makes things happen in your family. But we're here to introduce you today to a love that will surely keep you when you may not even want to be kept. My brothers and my sisters, uh, like the hymn writer said, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply staying within, sinking to rise no more but the master. Anybody know the master of the sea who allowed love to lift me? Have you been lifted today, church? Can anybody testify that love lifted you and you're glad about it? I hear one clap happening. I'm glad that love lifted me. I'm glad that love wrapped itself in flesh and came through the birth canal of a young unmarried girl said to have been a virgin betrothed to Joseph, a, a poor girl with a lowly report. Love wrapped itself up in flesh and came and dwelt among humanity. And humanity rejected love even then, but love kept persisting. Love said that greater love hath no one than to lay down their life for a friend. And love did just that. 
love was tried for crimes not even committed, and a court of evil found love guilty and sentenced love to death. And love was crucified on an old rugged cross over 2,000 years ago. Love died for you and for me and for us. Love died, but I'm so glad that death couldn't keep love down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that death did not have the final say, that love was and love is stronger than pride. Love went to hell, snatched up the keys to death in the grave, and showed that old devil it wasn't Charles in charge, but it was this love that was sure enough in charge. Love overcome evil then. Love is commanding us to overcome evil in the world even now. So Indiana Wesleyan University, if you truly want a love revolution, you're going to have to get a hold of real love. Now, I'm not talking about Cupid and those little arrows that the cute little cherub may shoot at us. Because Cupid may be cute, but Cupid's little arrows is not going to get us to the place that we need to be. And I'm not talking about the real love that Mary J sung about years ago. You know that we're lovers through and through. But I'm talking about a love that only Jesus can give us access to. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Philosopher Carl Jung said, where love rules, there is no will to power. And where power predominates, there love is lacking. The one is the shadow of the other. And these men are right, their words are good. But I'm not talking about that kind of love either. I'm talking about a love that is not spelled L-O-V-E but a love that is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Not the Jesus fashioned after our own ideas about who he is. Not the Jesus that we put in the Sunday go-to-meeting box. Not the Jesus that co-signs our brand of morality. But I'm talking about the Jesus about whom John writes, for God so loved the world that God gave Jesus, the only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. H have you tried him? Do you know who he is? Have you invited him into your heart personally and completely? Have you allowed Jesus to step beyond that velvet rope to get to the whole and immediate and full access to your life? Have you given Jesus full reign and control and authority over your tongue? You know, the tongue that makes you want to cuss folks out when they get in your way. Okay, y'all Christian, you don't cuss. Amen, somebody. You, you know, the, 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 the lifestyle that allows you to feel as though you can be carefree and young and the restless. Have you given Jesus access to that space? If you haven't ever done it, now is a really good time to think about doing it. Now is a really good time to say, Jesus, come into my heart and stay in with my spirit because I recommend giving Jesus the access to that spaces and places where we put the velvet rope up. I recommend giving Jesus an all access pass to our lives, to our minds, our bodies, and our spirit. Not because we are so worthy of Jesus coming into our space. Not because... It will make us feel better. There are days it will do that. But simply because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. If you know it, sing it with me. Yes, Jesus. Think about that thing. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me Jesus loves you. One of the first songs mama, daddy, grandmama, them ever sung to you when you were a little baby wrapped up in their arms. Do you remember kind of what that looks like? Maybe you've held your own cousins, nieces, or nephews in that way. Singing this song along to them. Think about the pureness of that feeling. And allow that feeling to transform your heart, your mind, your soul, your living. And that, my friends, is what a love revolution really looks like. God bless you.